Oh, thank you, team. You guys are amazing. Should we show a hand to the worship team? You know, we're so blessed, aren't we? Having an amazing worship team. And uh, I have the privilege of, of um, working alongside Donna to, to facilitate the team, help lead the team. It's just amazing. We're so blessed, aren't we? We are very blessed. Am I in the middle here? Do I need to move across a little bit? I think I will. There we go. If I'm not in the middle, it makes me feel most comfortable that I am. So, Awesome. Well, um, thank you for coming, everybody. It's great to have you with us today. If you're new to church, especially warm welcome to you as well. It's great to have you as part of our church family. Um, my name's Lee. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, I'm really excited about sharing a, a practical message with you today. Um, and before I, I, we start the, the message, I uh, just want to pray for pastors Jason and Linda so Pastor Jason Linda, they're currently ministering all the way up north, um, where it's a lot, lot colder, I'm hearing at the minute, in Whitley Bay, which is near Newcastle. They're ministering at an Elim church up there. So it'd just be great to support them through prayer just for a moment. So let's just do that together. God, we just thank you so much for Pastors Jason Linda. We just, we just pray that, first of all, that you, you protect them as they travel all the way up north. I think it's about five hours. So we just pray that you protect them, Lord God, but also that you speak through them. And that the amazing leaders that we have in our church can, can be facilitated to go and bless other churches as well. So I just pray that you just work through them as they minister at that church up north where it's cold. Amen. Amen. It is cold up there. When you drive up the M1, uh, you see your temperature gauge getting colder, dropping as you, the further you drive up there. So it is, it is a bit uh, grey up there. So, um, so yeah, so I'm... Um, Pastor Jason mentioned last week that I'm going to follow on from a message that he, he brought to us last week, and, and it was a really relevant word, I think, um, and it was on uh, flourishing in the land and dealing with jealousy in a biblical way. And he preached from Genesis 26 about one of the wells that Isaac's herdman dug, uh, which caused jealousy, and he brought a real practical application on how we handle jealousy in our lives. So my message today follows on from that. I think mine's a bit more difficult, but maybe, maybe he's planned it. I'm not sure. And my message today follows on from that. Um, as they dug another well after that called Sitna, which caused conflict. So in that case, and in this case today, you know the enemy can rob you of your blessings. You know that, don't you, church? The enemy can rob you of your blessings. And one of the ways that the enemy can rob you is through accusation and bad conflict. Not conflict, but bad conflict. So um, for those of you that are maybe new to our church family, uh, or maybe you're not a regular attender of our church, maybe you come periodically, um, the sermons that we, we tend to follow, they follow what we call a campaign. And we call it a campaign because we focus on one particular subject. We feel as a, as, a, as a leadership of the church that we really want to home in on one particular subject. So the, the current campaign that we're following at the moment is one called Flourish. And like I say, that, that helps us deliver a specific focus to the church during that time. And that only lasts maybe a couple of months or six weeks or something like that. So I just want to make a practical suggestion for your church, which may benefit you, is um, if you don't attend every week or, or you, you can't make it because of work and things like that, it's really worth either watching the service on YouTube, which you can, you can pretty much do straight after the service, and we do post a specific sermon video uh, usually on a Monday, it takes a while to upload, or um, you can go on Apple's 
music. You can go on Spotify, podcasts, and do that kind of a thing. Because a lot of the sermons do connect with each other, and, and we really feel that that would be beneficial, because you guys are on the journey with us together. And that's what we really want you to do. So jump on the journey with us. Let me just encourage you. So today I'd like to bring a relevant, and it is very relevant, conflict, isn't it? And a practical message on how to resolve conflict and how to restore relationships. So the title of my message today is How to Flourish Through Conflict. See, see, that title might sound like a bit of a contradiction in terms, flourishing through conflict. But there is a real ability to be able to flourish in your own life through the conflicts that you experience. And many of us, I'm sure, have probably been on the negative side of conflict, haven't we? I pretty much guarantee that every single person in the room has been on the negative side of it and maybe even still are carrying hurt. That you've, that you've gained through, through that time of conflict. And let me say one thing before we kick off, and this is really important. None of us are perfect, okay? And that includes me. We all make mistakes, and we all don't handle situations in the best way from time to time. Speak to my wife, she'll be a testament to that. So I'm, I'm approaching this to- topic in a, in a humble way, to say that I'm not perfect either, And I've probably learned a lot of what I want to talk to you through, through doing it the wrong way. Not the right way, the wrong way. But it's an important topic, as Jesus highlights it in his teachings, and it's something so beneficial for us to explore. And it does, if we we can handle conflict right in our lives, it it can help us restore our relationships, because it's an important life skill to learn. And if you don't do it well, you're going to spend a lot of your time in your life pretty miserable. It's pretty much guaranteed, okay? And if you run from it, that ain't going to work either. So you've got, to, you've got to know how to resolve a conflict. And that could be at work. It could be in your marriage. It could be resolving conflict with your children. It could be people in the church. It could be your friends. It could be your small groups. Pretty much every day of the year, you will have to deal with some sort of conflict, So Jesus specifically focused on the area of conflict in his teachings, and he created a biblical guide on how we deal with conflict, which today I believe is more relevant than ever. Society at the moment, it's it's, it's so important that we have to deal with conflicts in a right way, and I think there's probably a few world leaders that probably need to listen to this as well and follow that. See, it draws on our spiritual resources when we, when we deal with conflict. So it's so important that we learn spiritual maturity in how to handle conflict. See, not handling conflict can effectively have grave consequences for us. It can cause us physical, emotional. It can cause, cause us spiritual harm. And God doesn't want that for us. You know that today. God doesn't want you to experience that harm. In fact, God hates these types of things. And hate's a strong word, isn't it? Hate is a strong word, but Proverbs 6 verse 19, it says, there are six things that the Lord hates. And he, and he lists a few of those things. And, and the last one is a person who stirs up conflict in the community. See, unresolved conflict can block our fellowship with God. And it can block our happiness as well. See, if the relationships in your life are bad, 
your life is likely to be bad as well, isn't it? So who's been in a situation, I won't ask for a show of hands, but who's been in a situation where conflicts have risen? It's maybe happened out of our, uh, we've not expected it, it's been an unexpected uh, happening. And we've gone, to, gone into what we call the fight or flight response. See, our automatic mechanism kicks in. And without training, our body reacts, doesn't it? And it readies itself. So medically, I'm going to bore you with some medical details. Medically, the fight or flight reaction is associated with the activation of the sympathetic nervous system as we experience a stressful situation. See, the chain reaction brought, brought about by the flight or, uh, fight, fight or flight response can result in, and here's some of the medically proven symptoms, increased heart rate, dilation of the blood vessels, constriction of blood vessels uh, serving digestion, which isn't very well while you're on stage, all right? Increased respiration rate, skin becoming pale or flushed as blood flow is reduced, dilation of the pupils. There are more than that, and to be honest, if I went through them, I probably get even more stressed than I feel right now talking about them. See, an in-depth review was made into organizations, and it determined that the negative impacts of conflict in organizations can include mental health problems, a decrease in productivity, a high employee turnover, because everybody wants to quit, or even escalation and violence. And in church life, if conflict isn't managed correctly, it can lead to things like damaging the church morale, the vitality of the church, and even a destruction to its existence. I'm sure some, part, uh, some, some guys in this room maybe and at home have been part of you know, church splits where conflict's not been, not been handled correctly. So you can see why we wouldn't, we wouldn't flourish if we don't handle conflict correctly. So can you see why Jesus focused on it? I hope you can. Because it's a big subject. Conflict is a big subject. And Jesus experienced the pressure of conflict in so many different ways he actually experienced conflict on even a more intense and larger scale than any of us today. See, he knows our pains. He experienced our pains. He's experienced our struggle. So who else would know the most about how to help us to deal with conflict in our own lives? So to understand Jesus' perspective of conflicts, I'd like us to look at two pieces of Scripture. So if you've got a Bible, if, you're, if you've got a physical Bible still, I think some people have, because I can hear flicking at times. Then now's the time to use your thumb, because we're going to have two different um, passages that we're going to read through. Or if you've got it on your phone, then uh, you can bookmark it or screenshot it, and we'll move between them both. All right? Are we ready? You're all a bit quiet. Are you ready? Yes, we're ready. Thank you. You're still there. I can't see much with these lights, so it's, I'm, I'm going to have to just hear you to know you're still there. So the first one we want to look at is Matthew 5, verse 23 to 25. And it will be on the screen as well. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. And the second one is Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault 
just between the two of you. If they listen to you, then you've won them over. So we're going to explore those passages in a little bit more detail. And these two passages are essential because I'm certain that it, the principles in here would help pretty much manage all, all the conflicts, almost, that we experience in a more fruitful way. And there are four, that I've, I've identified four very simple principles that we can take from these passages. So we're going to explore them together. Four principles, okay? So the first principle is be timely. And I'm referring to Matthew 5, verse 23 to 25. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made the point that any believer who held anger against one another was just as guilty in his eyes as being a murderer, okay? So this is a serious thing, and this is how God sees anger. So it must be an important action to deal with quickly. So I want you to have a think about a time in your life where someone has wronged you, and you've swallowed it up, and you've just carried on. That swallowing, doesn't it? It lurks in there, and it builds up over weeks, sometimes years, sometimes decades. See, when someone has wronged you, you have the right to be angry. You have the right to be angry when someone's wronged you. It's a natural reaction. But there's some of us who've held on to that anger and held on to that resentment for so, so long. And a lot of the time, you're holding on to this offence. That offence then can develop into a grudge. And a lot of the time, you carry that grudge and you carry that hurt, and the other person that's actually wronged you probably don't even recognise that that's even happened a lot of the time. See, here's the important bit. And, And we need to listen. We need to listen to what Jesus is saying, but we also need to listen to what he's not saying. What Jesus is not saying is that you should deal with all conflict there and then every single time. So you can't can't deal with conflict with someone else if you're carrying anger yourself. If you're in that fight or flight mode, you can't handle that properly. If we all did that, I would imagine there'll probably be a queue at the bottom of this this pulpit at at the end of the service, or we'll all be having a punch up in after church. It just wouldn't work, would it? See, the well-known verse, Ephesians 4.15, says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is head, that is, Christ. See, when you're carrying offense and your blood's pumping and your adrenaline's going, your truth at that time may actually be quite different to what the reality is. And we won't speak that truth in love. If, we want, if we're angry and we want to take someone's head off, there's no truth in love happening there, is there? There never will be. See, Jesus is our perfect example of how to speak truth in love. See, Jesus' time on earth was perfect, and we have to accept as human beings that we ain't, we ain't perfect. So if you've got something to share with someone, because it will help you, and it will make you feel good, So I'm going to tell that person, I'm going to tell them the truth, I'm going to speak to them, and you're doing that because it makes you feel good, that ain't the right way of dealing with conflict. If you're unready to unload on someone because it'll give you relief or satisfaction, then you need to stop. Because you're operating from the wrong place, and that's not what Jesus did. The time to deal with conflict is when there's no anger. 
You know, Pastor Jackie and I have been married for 11 years. And during that time, we've had our fair share of arguments, all right? Here's, here's the admission, most of which were my fault, okay? Um, but uh, that's not important, of course. And it took me several years to understand that we both handle conflict and process things in different ways. See, I'm an extroverted activist, all right? So if you don't know what one of them is, basically, I'm quite impulsive, and I like to deal with things quite quickly. And so when we, we have, we have a, a, an argument, the one thing that I want to do, my natural reaction is, is to deal with that disagreement straight away. I want to sit down, I want to talk about it, come and, and I'm tactile as well, come and give me a cuddle, we just need a hug, and, and try and rectify that situation and talk through it, because all I want to do is remove that hurt from my life at that time. It's quite selfish when you think about it. See, Jackie, Jackie, she's a reflector, which is the opposite. So when we have an argument, she actually likes to create distance and she likes to think deeply about why it's happened and try and heal herself while, and, and process it while she's healing. That's part of her healing process. You know there's a well-known phrase, isn't there, for couples out there, don't go to bed on argument. Absolute rubbish, okay? <laughs> it's heresy. <laughs> going to bed on an argument, we've tried it, trust me. 11 years, we've tried not going to bed on an argument. And what it does for us is it creates more arguments and then we all go around in a vicious circle and we all end up arguing all night. It just doesn't work. See, for the conflict to be resolved, both parties need to be in a situation where they're ready to reconcile. It can't just be one side. It can't just be me being ready for a cuddle. It's got to be both sides for that to happen. And that admittedly could be difficult for those that want to deal with the situation straight away. But that is the truth. See, Jesus instructs us in this passage to settle matters quickly before it goes to court. Okay? So I won't get into if Christians should take each other to court or not. We're not going to get into that, all right? That, that's, a, that's a sermon in itself. But Jesus instructs us in this matter to settle things quickly before it goes to court. See, court is the last resort, isn't it? Court removes any ability to resolve matters amicably. The court has a judge who sits there and decides what's right and wrong with a tiny little input, really, from, from us. See, I believe here that Jesus is meaning that we need to at least try and deal with the conflict before it goes out of our hands. See, I mentioned earlier that conflicts can create lots of pain, and some of us can carry that. And the thing that I want to mention today is I don't want to minimize any of that pain that people have experienced in the past. You Maybe you've gone through a situation in your past and you've developed some deep hurt from that. See, some situations are out of our control, and we don't have the ability all the strength at times to rectify it. Sometimes it's not as easy as just going and talking to the other person. Maybe that person's an abusive person or something like that. And I don't want to minimize the pain that you've experienced in those conflicts. Some of which require professional help. Okay. And I want to encourage you, if that's, if that's relevant in your life, then to seek that. As that forms part of resolving the conflict in your own heart. See, don't wait around if, if, you, if you feel that you need professional help. See, God's given professionals, hasn't he, the skills and abilities to deal with those things, and we need to be utilizing that. So I just got that out of the way. My second principle 
one-on-one, Matthew 18, verse 15. So the second part of, of verse 15 in Matthew 18 says, just between the two of you, doesn't it? See, Jesus bang on the money here as he's instructing us to deal with that situation without gossip. Who here, and I won't ask for a show of hands because I'll be there as well, who here has ever talked about someone before you've talked to someone? And I'm sure that all of us here have probably been guilty of that from time to time, haven't we? And you know, there's just some people in life who love a good gossip. I'm sure we can all think of one. I used to have a neighbor up north, and she knew everything that was going on on the street. She was the source of information. And a lot of that information that she told you was that it was like, if it was two, if it was the number two, by the time she tells you, it's multiplied to the number eight, because she just used to make a big mountain out of every single molehill. And some people love that. See, church, gossip is so damaging. It's so damaging, not to, not to just other people, but it's damaging to the environments that we are part of. In a church setting, it can be incredibly destructive. Let me just tell you some quick reasons why. I'm just going to whip through it. And there's many reasons, but these are just some select reasons why it can be incredibly destructive in a church context. First of all, it's evil. Romans 1 verse 29 says, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips. The second one, it's divisive. See, talking about other people behind their backs never promotes unity. The other reason, it's self-centered. Those who gossip put themselves in the middle of everything. So if they're not in the middle of their own if they're not in the middle of the conversation or the situation, they'll gossip to put themselves themselves in the middle of it because that's self-centered. Anybody encountered anyone like that before? Those who love attention, who like to put other people down to elevate themselves. It's not good news, is it? We are believers are called to bring the gospel. The gospel is the good news, but gossip is focused on destruction rather than redemption. I've gone a bit heavy here, haven't I? But there's so many Bible verses which instruct us not to gossip. It can have a huge destructive impact on, on us and also others around us. And no matter how we can sometimes dress it up and spiritualize it, it is wrong to talk about someone before you talk to someone. And the only exception to that is God. Talking to God about the conflicts that you're having. See, that's a necessary step, isn't it? Praying about the conflicts that you are having before you address it with the other person. Not to pray, God, can you please let a piano fall on their head, by the way. <laughs> that's not what to pray to God about. But to pray to God to say, in a humble way, Ask God to reveal where you might have been wrong in that situation. See, wisdom is a, is a huge part of resolving conflicts as well. We need to ask God for wisdom to help us to identify parts of the conflict that we must own and work on those before we speak to that person. So if I'm following on who I speak to, leads me on to who else you might need to get involved in certain situations. Principle three, get help. 
Matthew 18, verse 16 to 17. It says in that next part of the passage, so we're just going a little bit further in that passage, it says in verse 16 to 17, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. So Jesus provides here a biblical process for escalation doesn't he? I like my processes. And Jesus, Jesus put a process in there for us to follow to even escalate if we can't deal with that situation with another person. But again, listen to what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying to take it to your best mate who's going to back you up when you, when you go and gang up on that person. That's not what Jesus is saying. Or take your best buddy who will not stay impartial and they've got an agenda which matches your agenda. How many times have we brought issues to other people for them to agree with us? I had a, um, I had a friend a while ago. Uh, it's interesting when I said a while ago, and it was a friend, okay? But I had a friend a while ago. We grew apart. He moved abroad. And uh, I remember one day I was driving into work, and he was asking me for, uh, he called me for advice. And uh, the, the, the honest advice that I gave, gave to him wasn't an easy option for him. And you could tell in his voice that he didn't, he, didn't wanna, he didn't want that option, to be honest with you. But he was asking for that advice. And I didn't hear anything from him. He used to call me quite a lot. I didn't hear anything for him, from him for, for quite a while. For several months, actually. And I later found out that he'd called several other people for advice until one of, him had, one of them had told him what he wanted to hear. That process is absolutely pointless. It's a waste of seven people's time, and it's a waste of his time as well. So you need someone in your life who cares about you enough to tell you what you, want to hear, what you don't want to hear sometimes. You need someone to tell you the truth in love, and you need someone to be open enough, and you'd be a person open enough to receive it. And the person who is involved in resolving conflict with another needs to be someone who stays impartial. Some of you might have been involved in relationship counseling, and that can be an amazing tool for some people. I, I know of a marriage counselor who applied something called the 10% rule with couples. So he would try to get each side to take responsibility for 10% of the problem. See, most reasonable people would own 10%, wouldn't they? So the council would ask each spouse to work on their 10% before the next session, with the logic being, by the time they next met, then the problem would be 20% resolved. It's quite cool, isn't it, if you can make it work. And it doesn't work all the time. But you need people in your life who are going to speak truth in love. The next part of that scripture says, if that doesn't work, then bring it to the church, okay? That doesn't mean come on the stage and tell everybody, by the way. That means your leaders. You know, leaders, particularly maybe in this church, are people that love you, and they'll pray for you, as well as being trusted people. See, the leaders most probably won't be professional counselors, but they'll be people that can support you through prayer and even just listening to your perspective. The fourth principle, face-to-face, -face, Matthew 18, verse 15. See, I know when Jesus said, 
to resolve conflict face to face, it was a time before mobile phones and the internet and Zoom. But I do believe that it extends to the, to the place that we are now. You see, communication in society over time has become less to face-to-face, hasn't it? So in those times, face-to-face, in, it, when, when Jesus was talking about it, was, was the only way that they could, they could communicate. And as the educational infrastructure in society grew, more people were able to read and write. I love a bit of history. The postal system was established, believe it or not, in 559 BC in Persia and was developed by the Roman Empire in the first century. In fact, Paul's letters in the New Testament were right at the early stages of the postal system. Did you know that? So his letters to the Romans, by the way, the likelihood is he didn't do that because obviously he didn't trust that system. More than likely he would have probably got some, some, of his, um, some of his trusted friends to be able to deliver those letters. But in those times in the first century, around 59 BC, roughly, they, they guess when Paul write, uh, wrote Romans, he could have actually post, posted, posted that letter. Um, but more than likely he didn't. Does anyone remember, we're going to show our age here, okay? Does anyone remember telegrams? Telegrams, yeah. <laughs> I remember telegrams. People used to receive telegrams from, from where well, was the queen, uh, the monarch, uh, monumental birthdays or adver- anniversaries. And the later years saw the introduction of the telephone, the radio, the television, email, and text message. I've got another one for you. Does anyone remember pages? Can you remember pages? <laughs> oh, dear. Tanya's like, I've still got one at home in the cupboard somewhere. We're showing our age, aren't we? So I know we've got the youth in here today, so we'll explain to what a pager is. So it's basically like a, it's basically like a, a little box that you used to have, a little bit like, like this that you used to have, and you used to clip it onto your belt to show everyone while he was walking around. And then what happened, if someone wanted to get hold of you, they'd have to go to a phone box. Oh, phone box, you know what them is either. <laughs> I've done myself here, haven't I? It's a box with a phone in that you can ring. Let's just say you did it from home, okay? So you, <laughs> you, rang, you, rang the page, you rang the pager, and then the pager then beeped, and it gave you a number that you then had to go to the phone box to, to then call that number to then talk, okay? <laughs> I think I've explained that all right, haven't I? Oh, dear. I didn't think I'd be doing teaching on pages this morning. See, that was before mobile phones were widely available. And since then, we've had mobile phones with text messages, Facebook, WhatsApp, and you can pretty much send a DM. So we'll slip to the young ones, know what that is. The older ones, that's called a direct message, all right? A DM. You can send that from pretty much any social media. I had one sent me from, someone sent me one on, I can't remember what it was. Anyway, I didn't, I didn't expect getting a, a message from there, but I did, I didn't even know it did it. But you can, you can message from pretty much any social media platform now. See, communicating without face-to-face contact is so easy in today's age, isn't it? See, I remember when I was a teenager, here's another admission, before mobile phones, and I wrote my first ever letter, um, and it was conflict with someone. Okay, it was a girl, all right, and uh, I didn't know how to handle it well. But my dad in his wisdom said to me, do you know what you should do, son? Sounds like that. Do you know what you should do, son? You should write, write her a letter. So I sat down. And, and obviously writing a letter at that time takes quite a while. So you've got to write the letter, and we didn't have a computer, so it's handwritten. So if you've done anything wrong, you had to get tip... T- oh, I don't know, tip X's. You have to get... Anyway, I'm not doing very well on my ear. You had to write, write this letter, and then you used to, I used to have to take it to post office, buy a stamp, and then walk and put it in the, put it in the letterbox. 
And I was so upset by this girl. I'm not going to name her. Well, you won't know her anyway, but even just saying the name still hurts a little bit. I'm only joking. So I used to write this, write, I wrote this letter. And I can remember just writing it. Oh, this is what you've done. And you, do, 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 you kiss that other boy and whatever. And uh, yeah, it was a bit like that. And, uh, and, and I wrote this long letter. And then I read it back. It took me about an hour. And then I read it back and I thought, this sounds absolutely ridiculous. Because I was so angry when I was reading it, that when I was writing it, but then when I got to the end of it, I calmed down. So it was, it, was easy, it was easy for me to then just screw it up and chuck it in the bin. See, modern society, that would never happen, would it? Because communication's so easy and quick. And it doesn't give us a, a, a time to reflect on that situation. So it's so incredibly easy to send a message in anger. For us to get angry and go, blah, 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 send. Sounds a bit like that on my phone. If he, Ephesians 4 verse 26 says, In your anger, do not sin. And I'm sure there's been times where we've been too hasty and responded to someone. Come on. Who's frustrated us. Who's angered us. And then we've regretted it. We've sent that message. And you can unsend messages now, can't you? But you can't unsend them once they've gone in someone's head. It's so easy to, to grab that phone, isn't it? And out of anger, rant. You can go on social media. You can go on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all that kind of stuff. And then the whole world knows about it. I'll be honest with you. I go down my... I've got that many friends on Facebook. They're not my real friends. I'm quite lonely. But I've got all these friends on Facebook. And I go down them. And I can see someone's frustrated with someone because they'll say something and they just post it out there, don't you? And you're thinking, oh... They've been upset. Who's upset them? Usually a boyfriend, and then a couple of days later, it's all deleted off there. See, has anyone even sent an email to someone and had that sinking fear? I've done it before, that I've sent it to either the wrong, the wrong person. That's even worse, isn't it? About someone to that person. Oh, because you're doing something else. So-and-so's do, I used to do it work. So-and-so's doing my... I once did it, and we had... In fact, I won't go into that. Um, <laughs> Ask for forgiveness at the end. But I once sent someone sent an email, which on business, you know, you've got employees, there was an HR issue, and because I'm doing it at the same time and I was a bit frustrated, I'd sent it to the person rather than HR. <sighs> oh. We're saying about carrying pit in the defense, that's where the mind comes from. But, it, but it's just so easy, isn't it? Um, just communicating in that way. I work, there's a little tip for you, by the way, a little practical tip. But you know, if you use Microsoft Outlook, there's actually a tool, tool on there which, when you can send an email, and it, all, it will automatically delay the email if you want it to for five, ten minutes, whatever, before it sends it. So I, someone told me about that when I was working in, in the corporate world. And, and it, it saved me loads of heartache. I'd send something, and I'd be like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to do that. And I'd have time to delete it before it's actually been sent. See, Jesus taught here how to communicate in this context face-to-face -face for a reason. The reason was to help us and guide us for our protection. And there's value in resolving most conflicts face-to-face. -face. See, it's incredibly easy to be misunderstood when it's not in person. Firing off an angry email or a message gives you a chance to vent, and it gives you temporary relief but it can easily exacerbate the conflict. See, in resolving conflict face-to-face -face as well, timing is so, so important. 
Here, church, there's nothing worse than being in the middle of someone, and, uh, middle of something and someone comes and hijacks you with, with their conflicts that they want to have with you and you're totally unprepared. They want to have a deep and meaningful conversation with you, but you're in the middle of something and you just get caught out. See, as we explored earlier, delivering the truth in love involves thinking about the other person. So have a think about the environment that will bring the best out of them as well as the best out of you. See, see, resolving conflict is not a battle. It's a reconciliation, and that involves consideration with the other party. So I know I've spent a lot of time here going through some, some practical aspects. I really hope they're being beneficial to you. But the main point is this. No matter what side you're on, in conflict, someone gets hurt. And to resolve that, forgiveness is part of that reconciliation. Forgiveness. And we must not reconcile because we want, we must reconcile because we want each other to flourish. So I want to resolve this conflict with you because I want you to flourish as well. It's not just to remove my own pain and my own hurt, but it's also to help one another so we can all flourish. In Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 15, verse 2, he writes, we must be considerate of the doubts and fears of others. The fact of the matter, church, is that we're all different, aren't we? We're all different. I've never met anyone who has exactly the same opinion as me on everything. That would be a revelation, wouldn't it? We're all different. So conflict is going to happen because we're all different. And hurt people hurt people. Do you understand what I mean by that? People who are hurt can hurt others. And the aim is to focus on reconciliation, not resolution. Some things we are never, ever going to agree on. We just aren't. So we need to focus on reconciling our relationship with that other person. Rather than, if you can, if you can resolve it, that's fine. But if you can't, focus on reconciling the relationship and compromise. If you are wrong, if you are wrong, no point, no, 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 no percent wrong in that situation. Say sorry. Building a bridge is, is more effective than building a wall with someone as it goes towards reconciling that relationship. Romans 12 verse 18 says, Do everything possible on your part to live in peace with everybody. You know there's so much more satisfaction and peace in rebuilding a relationship, in a, in a relationship that's rebuilt rather than a relationship that's, that's dissolved. And reconciliation involves forgiveness. Forgiveness. And forgiveness is one of the bedrocks of our faith, isn't it? See, God desires, desires you to flourish, and he's provided the instructions in his word 
so we can do that. And you may have heard this message today, and maybe it's triggered some of that unforgiveness that you're carrying in your life. And like I said, the enemy wants to rob you of your blessings by you holding on to that. You know that, don't you? It's a trick. It's a trick. And it catches you by surprise. See, forgiveness will bring you peace. And that's what God wants for you. You know, and it's, it's not just a, a spiritual thing. Recent studies on forgiveness show that practicing forgiveness, it can improve our, it can improve our mental health, it can improve our physical health. See, through God's grace, we are forgiven and we are reconciled with God, yeah? We're reconciled with him. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Through your sins are, are like scarlet and they will be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. Paul writes to us in, in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 to 20. God has restored our relationship with him through Christ and has given us this ministry of restoring relationships. God was in Christ restoring his relationship with humanity. How, how clear is that for us? So clear, isn't it? Forgiveness restores relationships. The forgiveness of God, which is available, if you've not received that forgiveness, it's available for you today. It restores our relationship with God. And our forgiveness of others brings us peace. If God forgives us, no matter what we've done, who are we to not forgive other people? We should be leading by his example. Let me introduce you to Brant Jean. Have we got a picture? Yep, thank you. See, Brant is the brother of Botham Jean, who was tragically shot and killed by a Dulles police officer, Amber Goya. See, Brant sat in court, looked into the eyes of Amber, and told her that he'd forgiven her. He actually said to her, these are his words, I love you as a person, and don't wish anything bad on you. He then proceeded to hug Amber. This is him there hugging Amber in the courtroom. And he later said, I want people to have the heart that God has. And he later accepted, he, he got offered a, an, an ethical courage award. And before the ceremony, he told CNN, I really don't want this to happen again. As much as I want people to be forgiving, I don't want there to be another brother who has to forgive. My brother was well aware of the danger posed to young black men due to the misconceptions about colour that seemed particularly pronounced amongst the law enforcement community. Brad said, as he accepted the award, I want you to know that I'm not a threat, that young black males are not inherently dangerous or criminal. His forgiveness in that scenario received worldwide coverage. It inspired millions, and his message of forgiveness provided a platform to make a very, very valid point. 
He forgives, he forgave someone, but God actually worked through him to make a point of the injustice that was happening at that time and is still happening today. It sent a huge ripple through the USA. As Brandt said, we should want people to have the heart that God has. But that starts with us. Let us have the heart that God has to see others as God's creation. My brother, my sister, my friend are all God's creation. C.S. Lewis said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Amazing, eh? God's forgiveness for us transcends all human logic, but it's real. Allow yourself to know that you are forgiven by God. You are forgiven by God. You've just got to ask for it. You are forgiven. And then allow God's Holy Spirit to move within you, which will give you the peace that you need and the courage to forgive other people. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. All understanding. We don't understand it, but it surpasses it. It will guard your heart. It will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Some people need to forgive today. Some people need to forgive today, but some people need to know that they are forgiven. They are forgiven. You are forgiven. You just got to ask for it. I just want to pray. God, we just thank you so much that we are forgiven. Thank you so much that you love us. Thank you so much that through your son's sacrifice, we are forgiven. And I just pray that anyone in this room who needs to hear that can fully accept that in their hearts. And I also pray that us believers can also learn and have the ability to forgive others. People who feel the pain and feel the hurt of conflict can, can just be healed, can be restored in Jesus' name. God, we just love you so much. All of this is to, is to learn more to facilitate what you want us to do. God, just give us, through your Holy Spirit, give us the ability, give us the opportunity to be able to just do what you want us to do. Speak to us, Jesus, we pray. God, we love you so much. 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 It's through his spirit, through his amazing Holy Spirit. May, may his Holy Spirit just flow through our lives. We love you, God. We love you so much. Speak to us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Thank you. Mm.